You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And this is the reason why I think the libertarians, ah, you know, I, you, you guys could have been that threat. But if this happens, and this is my fear, um, is that the Trumpers will create their own party and basically call it the Trump party uh, because it's all centered on him and that they will get uh, a large large amount of the votes and if they win and they if they could get if they persuade the the members of like the democrats republicans to join them and basically say hey we want a real new world a real government a real you know uh, a change um this could be a big big problem down the road of course what is up everybody my name is kyle matovic i am the host of the in liberty and health podcast where we talk all things liberty health and wellness and beyond my hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being i hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests we're on all major streaming platforms so please sit back relax and enjoy man i'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13 year old son on leg day <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health. And today I've been looking forward to this conversation for a very, very long time. He is a very, very well-educated gentleman. I have Adam Fitzgerald with me. Adam, how you doing, man? Hey, Kyle. Thanks for having me on, man. Of course. Well, I'm very, very happy to have you here. And um, we were shooting the shit off air, talking about music and uh, everything under the sun already, so I can already tell this could be a good conversation. So, um, real quick, give everybody a, a brief introduction to yourself in case they don't know who you are. Well, I'm I'm just Adam Fitzgerald. Um, I'm just an independent researcher in the events of September 11, 2001, and um, I study various areas relating to it, like foreign policy, um, uh, Middle East foreign policy, Middle East culture, uh, uh, radical fundamentalism, the history of the intelligence agencies. Uh, and other areas. I do, uh, other people don't realize that I also do uh, studies into Jonestown and um, La Cosa Nostra. Um, I, I think I have more books on uh, La Cosa Nostra than any other subject. Um, that's because I'm from New York and I grew up around those people. So uh, it, did, it did interest me for a while. But yeah, 9-11 is my primarily area of study um, only because, you know, from 2006 onward, I, I you know, studied... 9-11 because I was in New York when it happened at the time and I really didn't know anything about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm terrible in physics, physics, so I don't care about how the towers fell. And <laughs> that was the predominant uh, conversation. I wanted to know who these people were and why they attacked us mm -hmm. and, you know, the history behind these people. And um, I had no idea 
it would take me 16 years to the forward to the day, and I'm still learning about, you know, the motivations and the pre-intelligence uh, history behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems that there is no end because each year you get to learn something new that you haven't uh, had before. And with all the millions of documents of files and um, uh, documents that are stored away at the National Archives, uh, you know, we have just, t- you know, touching the tip of the iceberg here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's one thing else that I admire about you is that you're always kind of open to learning and that you're very open and honest about what you do know and what you don't know. So I kind of want to throw this at you because I was I was thinking about this um, leading up to this conversation is what do you think's missing from the libertarian perspective on 9-11? Because I think if you ask most libertarians, what they're going to give you in terms of 9-11 is that um, – the reason why we were attacked is because of blowback, right? So, um, you know, we've been terrorizing the Middle East for years and years and years, and then finally they got fed up with it. And also, you know, sending money to Israel and, um, you know, kind of being hawks in Iran and all that other kind of stuff there. So that's the reason why they attacked us. Um, what do you think's missing from that narrative? I don't think there's much uh, missing at all. In fact, libertarians generally, and I'm new to the the genre itself, uh, the past two years, um, that they are well ahead than, say, any other uh, political paradigm. So, in other words, throughout the last uh, 15 years I've been studying the events, most people generally are very ignorant regarding the events of September 11, 2001. And that's because early on, conspiracy theories, I'm talking about fringe conspiracy theories here, mm-hmm. have been at the forefront of viral media. And this led to millions of people manipulated or disenfranchised by the many competing fringe theories. Meanwhile, the very few people that are out there giving you know, prima facie evidence for, hey, that there was, you know, inside job, I hate that term, but uh, that they're, like, again, like shadow band in the real world because of all the amount of Alex Jones, Jim Spencer, type S uh, conspiracy theories are out there. But libertarians that I've seen in the last two years um, have been well ahead of the floor. And that's because they themselves are very skeptical of the federal government anyway, but they're also skeptical of any competing narratives without fact-checking. And that's a big issue within the um, 9-11 sphere. And you'll notice it's not just 9-11, it's just about with every human event. And I think that's the, the case, is that if you have any huge event in history, You'll be met with disinformation first. They don't need to kill you, you know. They, you know, if the CIA doesn't need to kill you right away. All they need to do is push one or two people to push, um, you know, a really fringe theory that, that doesn't make sense. And most people don't have the time to read and fact check and mm-hmm. just believe whatever uh, conspiracy that they believe if it comes from a semi-authoritative uh, person. Um, I think with libertarians in general. What helps them is that they're very critical and open uh, to listening to competing narratives, but with a very skeptical ear. And that's what brought me to attention to Reed Coverdale uh, and uh, Dave Smith, for example, uh, and other people as well. But it was Reed Coverdale I ran into first and uh, was through a post that he made, I think, two or, two or three years ago about the Pentagon. And I chimed in and, you know, he had me on a show and. Uh, that's the reason why I have like 2,500 people following me on my channel, which I am shocked that anybody even follows me because I'm very uh, low-key and um, not very entertaining at all. I just 
I'm very dry witted, and mm-hmm. one thing I'm very I'm very strict when it comes to uh, consp- like falsehoods, and I, I that's the one thing I I think I need to work on is I'm too um, just too anal and too strict, and it leads into like I I'm quick with the band button, and I don't <laughs> have time because I think uh, what we need now, especially the libertarian community, yeah. is that they are right there, but they what they need to do is basically get rid of the domestic issues that divide them further and come on the Ron Paul type of argument of anti-war, which will unify everybody. And I think at this day, this day and age, what, what we need is a competing third party that uh, threatens the establishment. And they are threatened, believe it or not. They know who you are. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, they don't take you seriously because of the infighting and that you are not as financially powerful as them, mm-hmm. but you are a threat and they do take notice. So the libertarians themselves have an opportunity to threaten establishment. They just need to get more organized. Yeah, I think that's totally a fair criticism. And um, I find myself beside most of the antiwar.com, Libertarian Institute, Mm. guys like that, and obviously Reed as well. And Reed has been responsible for boosting me as well, and I can't sing his praises enough. He was actually – he stayed at my house on his way back to uh, New Hampshire, so that was uh, pretty cool. But um, yeah, like – it seems like there is even a divide amongst some of the foreign policy stuff within the libertarian perspective where, um, you know, our mutual friends, you know, Dave DeCamp, um, Pat McFarlane, Reed, and some of the anti-war guys, Cal Anzalo and Connor Freeman, um, were all of the mind of we need to be extremely skeptical of a lot of the China propaganda right now. And another thing that I wanted to talk to you about today was um, kind of like some of your knowledge around that and the populist right, because – um, there's a lot of similarities between the populist right and libertarians, and I get it, and I see why, but um, perhaps I'm maybe too critical at times, but I'm very skeptical of them because they're good on a lot of issues, but when it comes to this China issue, they're very bad. They're very, very bad on this. So um, the one thing I've dug into a lot is the connection between Steve Bannon and Miles Guo, who's this exiled CCP billionaire, if you're familiar with him. And to me, it seems like there's an extreme conflict of interest between the populist right and um, their anti-China rhetoric because you have somebody like Steve Bannon, who in my mind is financially compromised by somebody who's exiled from the CCP and defrauded people in China um, in order to line his own pockets. So therefore, of course, if you have this guy that's bankrolling you who hates China and defrauded people in China, then of course you want regime change and war there to help wash your hands of it. So um, I know it's a long tangent and that's a little bit of a theory, but there's a lot of evidence to what I'm saying and I just haven't been able to compile all of it up. So I know I threw a lot at you, but um, any thoughts? No, and, and look, you know, there's a battle of wars here between Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. Democrats obviously see Russia as the threat, whereas Republicans see China or Iran as the threat. Mm-hmm. And this has been going on for quite some time, even during the Reagan administration, where we had, you know, the Cold War throughout the 1950s and 60s that extended into the late 80s until that got replaced with the invasion of Afghanistan by the Mujahid, by the Soviets in 1979. Mm-hmm. When the Soviets fell, uh, they needed a new enemy, and that was the Mujahideen. And then they created that enemy and facilitated that enemy on, on, on the purpose of defeating an enemy itself. This looks lends to the old adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with the Mujahideen and the Arab fundamentalist threat uh, distinguished, no longer can be a threat, we have to invade 
oh, we have to invite a new enemy. Why not go back to an enemy that has always been the case, and that is the, uh, the Cold War revisitation of China and Russia. Um, Steve Bannon, as you said, is has been a long proponent of uh, the Chinese rhetoric. I think of the Trump administration uh, basically stood out as the primary uh, reason for this rhetoric here for right. I think um, I think it's uh, me we can bring up uh, people like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and the rest yeah. of them. Um, who basically are very critical, and I'm talking about really openly critical about Democrats, and rightfully so. Right. But this comes at a very uh, convenient uh, time because uh, while they criticize the Democratic establishment for their uh, continual billions and billions of dollars of funding in uh, Ukraine, uh, at the same time, these are people that are just jealous because they would like that money to go toward. Uh, an instigation of the military invasion of China or Iran, either one. Uh, yeah. They would like to have both. And that's because they too are part of that military industrial complex narrative when, you know, how many stakes here they have with companies like LED Technologies or Raytheon or Boeing. Um, I would say that if you look at their backgrounds, it's probably a percentage of each of those people in Congress. Uh, that's the reason why. That's how they get paid. They don't get paid through uh, the very, you know, binary donations of the average American public. Where are they going to get that money from? Where it basically under the poverty level of the majority of the country is. So basically, our interests are never going to get real money comes from private military industrials, private industrials in the uh, public sector, and of course, large scale corporations. So when you have this duopoly of uh, competing criticisms, say left and right, um, I'm always saying that, um, and I, I always talk about the entire media, the chance I get is that they're very hypocritical because uh, these are the same people that want a conflict but at a different geographical location. Oh, your audio is blurring out a little bit, Adam. I'm sorry. So I think what worries me more is that there is a hidden component within the, the, the conservative movement. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the traditionalists. I'm talking about this um, very quasi-religious uh, small group of people mm -hmm. that, um, unlike the Democrats, who are very disorganized, who are very organized, yeah. uh, but have a very, um, almost this, a very anti-religious uh, sentiment, if I could say, they're not very right, religious. Right. They're more anarchist and atheist than secularist than their, you know, brotherhoods over on the right. But there is a small component within this group, and they're the, the Trumpers, I would like to call them, <laughs> and that they they use the religion of Christianity as a tool. And these are people who are not biblically literate. They're almost similar to that of the, um, like the Arab fundamentalists who are illiterate. You know, these are people that don't read the Quran. And they're persuaded by their emails. Well, I would like to say that, and I'm I'm daring to say it, but I will say it, that people like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and uh, th those ilk are not biblically literate either. And these are people that follow the works of like John Hagee and Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland. And if you ever listen to those people and the rhetoric that they pose, they are almost daring for the world to end because they would like to see the the um 
the literal translation of revelations come to fruition. And that is the, the last battle in Armageddon in Megiddo, it's called. And that's, you know, the all the armies in the world brings right. about the, you know, the rise of Christ in the second coming. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about these people because they're willing to use nuclear weapons uh, more so to achieve uh, this quasi-religious goal. On the other hand, uh, you can make a great argument that the Democrats are inviting a nuclear war by having... Uh, by instigating the biggest uh, bear besides ourselves regarding nuclear stockpiled weapons. And that's Russia. And, right. um, you know, only Russia, I, I think Russia has more than us. Um, I, I don't quote me on it. It's either one, it's either us or them who have the most nuclear weapons on the face. Sure. Either way, um, it would invite the end of the world. Uh, and that, not through any religious means, but through their own uh, selfish uh, political reasons. But, um, you know, ignorance, uh, you know, is quite a uh, a universal drug, it seems. And that um, that's the reason why I'm more in line with, uh, like you, with the uh, um, anti-war libertarian community about spreading that message and hoping to persuade, you know, some of those people of the left and right to come on over and say enough of this. Yeah, and it's been hard for me because, I mean, I've, I've pissed off quite a few people who are of the Republican, even like libertarian Republican ilk, because I'm not willing to give an inch on this issue because um, I'm sure you know much more than I do about this. But I mean, the military buildup against China has been something that's been very, very pronounced. And a lot of these Republicans, I'm just going to sound I'm going to sound rude when I say this, but they're yeah. idiots. They're complete and total ignoramuses when it comes to Biden's policy on China, because they're under this like or they're under this impression that, um, yes, they had shady business dealings with China, but that doesn't mean they're owned by China. Right. Because if they were owned by China, he, you know, Kamala Harris wouldn't go to the Philippines and say, we'll go to war with China over a conflict in the sea. Or we're going to arm Taiwan and repeatedly say, if China goes for Taiwan, then we will defend them. Um, and it's funny because Reed and I both kind of say this a lot, is that like Donald Trump and Joe Biden are two very, very similar candidates. Like mm. people think they're very, very far apart, but really they don't disagree on much it's just like rhetorical differences and biden is or not biden i'm sorry trump is a much more passionate speaker but really on the issues i'm having a hard time thinking right now where they really disagree other than maybe um you know maybe like domestic policy surrounding gas yeah. <laughs> that's, that's about the difference between the two but their rhetoric's different but the only problem is just that Biden's on this team, Trump's on this team, and we have to make sure that it's our team that wins at all costs, no matter what. We, we never assess the candidates on the individual issues. We just assess the team that they're on. And if they're on our team, then by all means, we'll, you know, we'll pull the lever for them. No, and you, you hit the nail on the head. And I think this is the, uh, the biggest uh, glaring issue that affects all of us here in the United States is that when it comes to domestic issues, there is a very defining line between the Democrats and Republicans. They'll argue over health care. They'll argue over education. They'll argue over tax breaks for the uh, the poor and for the middle class. Uh, they'll argue over all these issues that affect all of us mm -hmm. as a whole. But on the other hand, when it comes to the more global issues outside the United States, there is no dividing line. Right. And that is um, the most glaring issue here that's often ignored especially through the legacy media, which is, you know, one giant trunch of misinformation to begin with. 
But for the independent media that's still out there, they're trying to show you that, hey, uh, that the uh, domestic issues revolving both the left and right political paradigm is nothing but a ruse. It's only meant to divide the United States from acting as a whole unit. And this is something that I tend to talk about sometimes. And you'll see me on Twitter, you know, declaring that nobody should vote or something like that along those lines. Um, I'm not saying that off the cuff. I'm, I really mean it. And that is because when it comes to the global issues that you raised there, Kyle, is that when it comes to, say, Israel or Saudi Arabia or a war somewhere overseas, there is no real uh, difference between the, the Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. That's because they serve bigger interests than the American people. And that's where the money comes from. Uh, the Pentagon, for example, uh, the private uh, corporations that are, you know, global around the world. You know, people don't realize that Walmart's, you know, one of the biggest, most powerful conglomerates on the face of the earth. The Walton family are billionaires beyond recompense. And, um, you know, they have a lot of foreign policy uh, influences as well. Uh, mega churches, for example, believe it or not, they are one of the most private, uh, 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 influential entities on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. um, but people don't realize how powerful these people are, how much money they give to these uh, congressmen and women. But when it comes to foreign lobbyists, especially from Israel or Saudi Arabia, the Gulf, like Bahrain, mm -hmm. United Arab Emirates, they pose a greater danger to the American people because their interests are basically interests of conflict. Mm -hmm. And that means that people are, are you know, uh, mortality issues. And usually they use the United States because they have a much bigger military than both of those countries combined. Mm -hmm. So they're basically using the United States by giving whatever money that they could. And now Israel is a very poor country uh, as opposed to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has to pour in billions of dollars. Why? Mm -hmm. Because one, we share nothing in common with Saudi Arabia. Uh, they're built upon the principles of what is called Wahhabism. And that is a very uh, perverted uh, definition of a branch of Islam and Sunni Islam. And it is not believed by 95% or 96% of Muslims around the world. It created the groups like Al-Qaeda and Islamic State and what have you through Saudi money. On the other hand, you have Israel, who basically gives you know very little money, but has a wider uh, broad of influential organizations like J Street, uh, the Zionist Organization of America, that heavily influences not just the political sphere of this country, but also uh, um, in the university sphere, uh, in the educational sphere, in the corporation sphere. They go out and have people uh, do polls or you know spy on people about what the perceived uh, general opinion about Israel is, and then they go back and give that general opinion and try to dissent and squash, much like Scientology does, where they go on the offensive as a defensive measure and quash any type of criticism whatsoever by either calling them anti-Semites or just, you know, if they're Jewish and they outspoken, they call them self-hating Jews. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, the, the Johnny-come-lately tactic that is losing its luster. I think Israel knows it. Mm -hmm. So basically, you have two foreign policy uh, uh, paradigms here that are heavily influenced in the United States, which leads to the Democrat and Republicans having basically no dissenting opinion 
when it comes to those issues. But they are meant to have uh, opposing issues domestically because not because they care about you, but because it keeps you divided and angry within each other because you dare voted for the left or the right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, what's funny is um, when you brought up the whole anti-Semite deal, um, I see some even libertarians pointing towards Kanye West as somebody mm. to be admired. But um, I, I think I see some people saying, oh, he's a CIA asset that's basically out there to divide the right. And that seems kind of silly to me. But what I think is that he's just a cultural figure who came out and had a bad experience with a certain group of people and he's blaming everything that went wrong in his life on that specific group of people. And by, you know, the consequence of that now is people like you and I who are saying that the Israeli government is extremely bad and we never mention, you know, the Jewish people. Um, now we get lumped in with Kanye West for our legitimate criticisms of a government that has a, a huge hand in the way that, um, you know, our state, or, you know, our country here is governed. Um when you have someone like Kanye West, then once again, now we're just lumped in with him. And now they just say, oh, well, you're just anti-Semitic because you believe what Kanye believes, right? You believe Jews are conquering the world and they control everything. Well, there's grains of truth in this. But when you just come out and say that you're going to go DEFCON 3 on the Jewish people, well, <laughs> now now you just look ridiculous. It, it's, it's kind of just it, – it's like the Alex Jones. Make it the tar baby of everything so that way everything that goes near it is just toxic waste too. You know, this is th the primary reason why, you know, I, I, I made a video regarding that interview with Kanye West and Alex mm -hmm. Jones is that, you know, here is a great big issue that the American people should entertain. Right. And yet it's being pr uh, promoted by the worst of worst, the godfather of all <laughs> disinformation next to the legacy media is Alex Jones. Mm -hmm. And the only bad thing about this is that Alex Jones has a very big platform, hum tremendous. Yeah. And he reaches a lot of people. He's been around for 20, 25 years. Yeah, but he, and, he's been shadow banned, Adam. <laughs> Nobody's supposed to hear, right? He's He's just a fringe conspiracy theorist. That's what they all say. But we know that i'm sorry to interrupt but no no it, it just drives me nuts because he clearly has an enormous reach and people act like he's just this fringe activist that like nobody's heard of no he's he's pretty much a mainstream kind of guy yeah. that puts out a lot of bad info and people just gravitate towards it so i put out this tweet saying that there's a grift to be pro-vaccine and a grift to be anti-vaccine mm. and someone said oh you one grift's more lucrative yes you're right but on top, it, like they acted like there's no such thing as someone that's just putting out misinformation about, you know, the the injection to kind of smear and dirty the water. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but just when, when um, I seen you talking about that, um, it, it really resonated with me. And it's something that I try to tell people who just say, oh, the the shot is the jab is population control. I'm like, you realize this is exactly what they want. They mm -hmm. want a tar baby around the subject. So that way all the legitimate grievances are not heard and they could just do whatever they want because they can say, oh, you're just being Alex Jones. So we can dismiss you. You're, you're not a reasonable person. Yeah. And look, you just hit the nail on the head with that. <laughs> and uh, look, yeah, that's the reason why you have the very rational voices you won't hear on no. viral media at all. And this is something that really grinds my gears. And that's why I'm very strict when it comes to um, uh, conspiracy theories or, you know, someone posting 
from, you know, uh, natural news or, you know, some other really whacked up conspiracy site. Um, and that I'm, I, I have no time for that because we're at a war, a war of for information. And this is something I've, I've, I've noted a couple of times is that with 9-11, we're, we're, we're fighting a battle of two fronts. One is a war of for information by the federal government, and one is a war of disinformation. Well, that could be applied here with Kobe Kyle. Mm -hmm. Is that we're we're finding we're fighting a war for information about what's going on with Pfizer and Moderna and why the vaccines are not 100 percent, so to say. Also, the battle of disinformation, which seems to be coming from all over the place, mm -hmm. from the left and right mainstream, and uh, people like yourself are you know left in the in the battlegrounds, and then you're you're criticized highly by both sides, oh, and yeah. you feel the squeeze until you join a side. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, good for you that you haven't done that and you kept your reputation intact, because you know a reputation takes a lifetime to build and only seconds to destroy. And this is the reason why I'm not going to sell out to any left and right paradigm just because they may say something right against, you know, the perceived enemy. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue, uh, you know, be dry and un, un very, you know, unentertaining as to be because there's nothing funny and there's nothing entertaining about what is happening in the current, uh, in the current paradigm of the United States right now. And we need more level-headedness because these are the people that we're going to have to look up to and, and promote because without that, you're left with nothing but disinformation and misinformation, which would lead to the demise of this country. Um, I think with the, you know, with Alex Jones, if we could, you know, just talk about that for a bit, you know, I hate to give this guy any type of attention and I hate him more than any other person. Uh, besides like Henry Kissinger or Dick Cheney, for example. <laughs> but Alex Jones, uh, what he does is is terribly, um, I, I mean, I think overall what he does is probably just as bad is that he creates generations and generations. That's no exaggeration. Generally, because his platform is huge. Generations of people, of misinformed people, where they espouse those falsehoods to the next generation of narrower. And what this does is basically he's no different than the CIA, for example, is that he'll promote false information. Now, yes, he'll say something, right? He'll say that is, you know, oh, by the way, you know, there was an inside job at Sandy Hook or there's an inside job with 9-11. Yeah, all right, to an extent. But when he goes into details and those specifics are wrong and he's called out on them, you know, people rush to his defense, say, hey, at least he's taking against the establishment. Well, no. He's no different than the establishment in the effect that the establishment wants you, the American viewer, to be misinformed, you know, disinformed and promulgate those misinformations and misinformations to the next person so that the real conspiracies, the ones that are, you know, out in the public are never brought to light. I am stoked to tell you guys about the show's new sponsor. I am now working with MTS Nutrition, which is a brand that I've believed in for a very long time, and they run awesome cells and they have awesome products. So um, I want to tell you about their amazing protein powder, which you're going to ask me how many pounds I have of the protein powder, and the answer is all of them. So here I got red velvet cake, 25 grams of protein, and they have the amino acids and everything on there, 59 servings. Peanut butter fluff, uh, fluffernutter, 26 grams of protein, and then also the chocolate chip cookie, which literally has 
little piece of chocolate chip cookie in there. So 27 grams of protein, 180. As I've talked about on the show, getting your protein in is very, very important. So make sure you hit that link below and purchase your protein powder through MTS Nutrition. Boom! Because it would show that, hey, wait a minute, maybe the CIA was involved with the 9-11 uh, attacks. Or that maybe you know, the Israeli Mossad through the intelligence agencies knew something and didn't warn the United States same for the Saudis. But you won't hear of it because everybody wants to scream that there are no planes or no hijackers, which is more, far more entertaining than, yeah. say, uh, the history of the pre-intelligence aspect involving 9-11, which is very broad, which is very boring. Uh, but it is the truth. Yeah. And it could be because I come from a background of like nutrition information mm -hmm. that what I started kind of digging into the conspiracy stuff that I was very, very skeptical of all claims because um, – I don't want to touch on my diet history. I've covered it on plenty of podcasts before, but I did the carnivore diet for two years because I was given bad information, right? Carbohydrates are evil. They're going to make you fat. And if you have so much as a strawberry, then you're going to gain 22 pounds. Now, obviously I'm being a bit hyperbolic, but hmm. basically um, there, people will take mechanistic studies when it comes to nutrition stuff, and then they'll extrapolate that out. So like, if I told you right now, there's cyanide in apples and almonds, don't eat them, right? Well, the problem is, is that that statement's true, but it, the, you know, it's the dosage that makes the poison. You would have to eat 500 raw almonds to get a lethal dose of cyanide. I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody that sits down and eats 500 yeah. raw almonds. But this is kind of the same situation when it comes to the political stuff and mm -hmm. even stuff regarding the uh, treatment. Um, people will like the data's out there. This is harming people. Um, I reference studies all the time. But then you get people who just won't link to any studies and they'll just say the most obscene, you know, zoomed out conspiracy theory about something and say that this is the truth and that you're an idiot if you don't agree with me on, in this regard. So, like, when it came to the vaccine, people are saying, oh, this population control. They're talking about the spike protein. I'm like, look, I'm a health nut. I don't fucking know what a spike protein is. I'm not mm. a vaccinologist, but I can read the data and tell you that in younger people, okay, it looks like there is some harm being done. Um, older people, I, I, I can't find any data that's really suggesting that it's causing older people any harm. And once again, for both sides, I get attacked, but I'm not going to just say inflammatory stuff just to get clicks. It's not who I am because I want people much like you to be informed and have the truth going forward. So that way we're not just considered Alex Jones or these people who just purvey awful information. Because like you said, it literally does serve um, the people who are actually doing bad things because you create a fire over here that credible people want to draw attention to an issue. But because you're so far on the other side. Um, you know, people eyes are away from what the truth actually is. And I think that's in effect, basically what people like Alex Jones do, where there's harm being done. And you could just say ridiculous stuff, get clicks. And then some people will jump to defend that rather than like saying, okay, well, let's just look at the data. Let's assess things and let's find what the truth is. And let's go from there. People it's the too long, didn't read generation essentially. Yes, and you know the key to defeating evil is knowledge, but knowledge comes at a price, and uh, it comes through the um, the dissolution of your innocence. And I would I think about it all the time, Kyle. I wish I could go back to the early nineteen nineties, late eighties, where I was ignorant about the world, uh, watching uh, you know cartoons or whatnot, and rooting for the Yankees, 
and I had no clue about what was happening around me. I was happier then, um, you know, starting about, you know, the early 2000s, mid 2000s, when I started uh, educating myself, you know, I'm still educating myself. I'm no expert about anything. Um, and I see, you know, a little bit about what's happening around the world and around me. I have become more depressed and I've become more, I guess, crankier in my, in my age now. I'm 53. Um, and that is because I see other people around me who are espousing this, you know, willful ignorance about the world around them. And they have no idea about the, you know, the dangers that are posed to them and to the people that are around them. And this basically is the the war between the yin and yang of the human, of the mind itself. Um, if you want to change the paradigm of the whole structure, it will come through a sacrifice of yourself. And I'm not talking about you killing people and, you know, killing yourself or harming others. Um, the only way to, to destroy the power structure at hand is for the majority of the people to basically you know, pull that proverbial IV out of their arm about what's being fed to them through the legacy media and through disinformation channels like Alex Jones and get rid of these uh, divisive human constructs that are meant to divide and uh, imbue you away from each other, you know, like religion and racism and, and politics. Um, and when I say we don't need religion, that we don't need spirituality, there's a difference that we don't need. If I, you know, I, I may be saying that we don't need racism, but we do have culture. Uh, these are differences between each other, but they involve everybody else. But as long as we are divided and wanting and needing and sickly and poor, uh, the enemy that we're seeing is is going to be within ourselves. But that's not the case. The enemy is the people who made us this way. And incidentally enough, these are the people that we gave power to, right. authority to. Um, you know, there's a great quote by Alexander Shotsitsyn is that um, if you appease a man's conscience, you could take his freedom away from him. Well, that's exactly what's happening to mm -hmm. us. But they do it ever so gradually so we don't notice. Because if we do notice, and if we do have everybody's attention, or the majority of people's attention, that's when we could threaten the power structure. You know, Chris, Chris Hedges, a former New York Times uh, reporter, award-winning reporter, basically said, and in, in he, used, he used this in... Um, in uh, lectures they used to do. And um, it's in Henry Kissinger's memoirs about, you know, this growing anti-war sentiment around Vietnam, around the White House. And so they barricaded the White House with these yellow school bus vans and National Guard is outside. And Henry Kissinger is out, sit, you know, standing next to Richard Nixon, looking out the window. And Nixon says, Henry, they're going to get in here and they're going to, you know, get us. They're going to capture us. And that's exactly, Hedges says, that's exactly where you want power. You want them to feel that we can take away at any moment the power that we give them to or to govern us. But we have not ever threatened these people. In fact, the last time we did this was January 6th. And it was a very, very poor attempt. And meanwhile, these Congress people basically said, this is worse than 9-11. This is worse than Pearl Harbor. Oh, I right. didn't know 3,000 people died on, on, September, on January 6th. Yeah. Nevertheless, I, I, I agreed with the, with the point. Hey, that's exactly. But we went on the wholly wrong pretenses of like having the worst type of people go in there under the, you know, the most, uh, you know, false pretenses of 
oh, there was a, um, uh, you know, there was a conspiracy involved the voting process. <laughs> There's a conspiracy about the voting process every four years. Right. Do you really think that we have a, a say about who governs us? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. For God's <laughs> sakes, you know, these people come into power even without our votes. Mm-hmm. We are powerless right now that we feel that we're powerless, but we're not. We just have to believe that, yes, we do have the power and we do. Mm-hmm. Without us, they have nothing. Remember that they are there because of us. Mm-hmm. But we have to believe that we're more powerful than they are, and we are. But we just have to know it. And do we know it? No, we, we tend to not believe it. And that's why I go into the spiel about uh, my favorite quote about belief versus knowledge. And that, um, you know, the primary uh, problem with the American people is that they're allowed to believe anything, but to know nothing. And without knowledge, we can't act on it. And Mm -hmm. we can't use that to defeat the evil that is, you know, the U.S. federal government. Yeah, I mean, it truly is a form of Stockholm syndrome. And I I say that a lot in regards to Donald Trump, because um, I think what people kind of wanted out of the populist right movement, specifically Donald Trump, and I still see people talking about this, is – they yearn for a hero and the message that i try to tell people is that you have to be the hero in your own story because there's nobody that's going to come to save you which sounds grim that should be the most encouraging message in the world that you can affect your surroundings you can affect your community you can affect your family and you can change things for the better if you're willing to go out there and get it now does that mean you're going to be able to reconstruct the entire federal government probably not Mm. but um you know if you start with yourself and then you can inform yourself and make those around you a little bit more robust and feel a little bit more confident Then, once again, that scales that goes to other people that goes to your family members. And then that goes out to their family members and so on and so forth. And it seems like, um, we're kind of doing this in the Liberty movement, but there's still just a lot of grinding the gears over culture war issues, which when you zoom out, they're really not that big of a deal, but, um, it's like these are thrown in our face to you know for the purpose of dividing us um it's very very frustrating and as i said earlier on in the show one thing i really admire about you is your ability to remove your own bias and i try to do that as much as i can um i'll be the first one to admit that generally i may default a little bit more to like culturally right things because my values tend to lend up or line up more with like social conservative values that being said i recognize that bias and try to decipher the information from a more neutral standpoint and it seems like you have at least been able to kind of remove your own bias and like i said earlier you know admit when you're speculating and also look at things without saying that just be not being a partisan hack and that's one thing that's always just driven me insane about some people is just this partisan hackery to make whatever needs to look good for you look good and whatever to everybody else look bad yeah well you're very nuanced and this mm-hmm. is the, the key to uh understanding the problems that we're facing is that if we just you know placated or just uh, you know eliminated and it takes years of getting rid of the divisive human applicants that we're led to believe um, will see the world as not just black and white, but as gray. And that's exactly uh, what the world is. It's very confusing. It's very complex. And it's made this way so it can confuse you and complex you 
into you know a multitude of different uh, paradigms. But you're a human being, and that's what you share with everybody else, and that's what we share with the whole world is that we came from the universe, and that we're here on this planet. And you know, for for most people, Kyle, that's not enough. They want to be in a specific class and right. special, and you know, have these special abilities and rights away from everybody else. But you already have that, and you have that within you know your own human physiology and and uh, psychology. Uh, we are different in our own state. No two snowflakes are alike. But with the commonality is that we're all this world the same, but we share different. Um, a different uh, um, different generalities, uh, different intricacies within us. But as long as we continue to placate our, you know, desires and whatever selfish desires those are, or through the, you know, the number of different um, beliefs that we have within us, we're never going to get anywhere that's really going to threaten the establishment and make real change. Um I've always said that if you had 10 million people protest against, say, you know, the corrupt, uh, the corruption that's happening within Ukraine, for example, and mm -hmm. the Democrats, you can make change. 10 million people, you can. Chris Hedges thinks it's about two, three million people, five million, maybe. Um, I think if you get about 10, you could definitely get the attention of the world. Okay. And not everybody's bought and paid for in the media. You know, we still have media channels that are out there reporting um you know the the real happenings and the real problems of the world they're not getting the attention like the legacy media but you know if you could get 10 million people to basically just say hey we are tired of the nonsense and we want real change you're going to get the attention of the world and guess what a lot of the world are basically going to agree with you because guess what the united states basically affects just about every place on the face of the earth and yeah, you'll be called an enemy, you'll be called a traitor, and you'll be called an anarchist or a liberal or, you know, a right-wing fanatic. But if you don't have any of those platitudes, you have nothing to worry about. Hey, yeah. you know, I'm a human being and I want something that's right. And this is the reason why I'm fully in, entrenched with uh, the people at Andy Moore Libertarian Institute, that's Scott Horton and Kyle Anzalone and, um, you know, Connor McDavid and Patrick McFaul and those guys, Will Porter. You know, those guys are phenomenal. And I wish they got more of the attention that they sorely deserve and they deserve it all. But, um, you know, uh, it's sad to see that, you know, too many people, you know, still vote and still think that, you know, it's going to work for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And um, even amongst our own, you know, movement, if you will, um, I get frustrated because I do see sometimes people getting promoted that I feel don't necessarily deserve the backpats they're being given. And it, I talk to Pat almost every single day and, um, you know, someone like him who did a lot of really good work on like the China stuff. Mm. Um, I just admire that so much. And so like with the Uyghur stuff, like nobody had touched that because th this is something that's kind of beyond the pale, right? You're supposed to just believe this narrative, but Pat was able to dig deep and, you know, really prove that whole narrative wrong. And the sad part about kind of this stuff and this kind of the big meta, if you will, of what we've been talking about is you have someone like Tim cast who has on Alex Jones and all these populist right wingers, um, they seem credible, but the problem is, is that while they're not necessarily always aligned up with the legacy media, they drop just enough 
truth bombs out there for you to think that they're credible, but then they end up following the narrative of the mainstream news every here and there, but they don't do it enough to throw you off guard. So mm-hmm. they seem legitimate, but as a whole, they're not. So I, I know that's kind of all over the place, but um, I really wish those guys at the Libertarian Institute and antiwar.com got more recognized because they really are putting out the truth. And sometimes the truth isn't as exciting as you hope it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, when when I hear about diet stuff, oh, did you try the carnivore diet? Did you try low carb? Did you try going vegan? Um, did you try low fat? Um, the the non-sexy truth of it is if you, you know, eat more calories than your body can expend in a day, you're going to get fatter. If you eat less, you're going to get skinnier. That's just the way it is and that a lot of the supplements the dick pills you know you name it um that stuff a lot of it may not work as you're being sold so um and and that works with media as well is that sometimes when you dig deep enough you're just going to find that the truth just isn't as exciting as you want it to be but once again if you can create a tar baby and you could say something that's so ridiculous and off the wall then everybody stares and looks and then you know oh look at me i did something right for once but if you can just you know, preach the truth, then hopefully there's enough people out there kind of looking for it, you know? Yeah. You know, I great example of this is Dave DeCamp. Uh, I've interviewed <laughs> Dave DeCamp for the Darkened Hour, me and Richard yes. Cox, my co-host. And um, Dave, we were talking about the Yemen crisis and mm-hmm. Dave DeCamp is one of the leading voices regarding this issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, here's a guy I absolutely respect and admire because um, I've met Dave DeCamp at the uh, Libertarian Institute with Reed Coverdale and uh, Eric Jackman. And, um, you know, Dave DeCamp uh, is basically, you know, just a literally a Britannica when it comes to uh, geopolitics in general. Yeah. But you won't hear the name anywhere outside the Libertarian Institute. And to me, that's the real crime is that these are the people like we said before, McFarlane, Horton. Well, Horton's a little bit more known, but people like McDa- Connor, McDavid, uh, Connor Freeman, uh, Patrick McFarlane and, and Dave DeCamp, you know, DeWill Porter. Kyle Anzalone, you know, nobody outside of the Libertarian Institute will hear these names. And Kyle Anzalone himself, how many episodes that guy's done? He does like three, four episodes a day, mm-hmm. um, basically talking about the issues uh, involving what's happening in Russia, in Ukraine, in, in Yemen, in China, in North Korea. And all these issues are basically affecting all of us uh, because it's done in our name as Americans. But, you know, you ain't going to hear it because, you know, you know people are more in tune with the New York Post or Washington Post, Los Angeles Times. And it's easier to listen to Tim Cast and Tim Poole and that <laughs> crony Luke Radowski and, uh, yeah. you know, you know, these other people, you know, and they'll go to other leftist channels too on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. And basically they'll listen to, you know, Joy Behar, the view. And like, what's wrong with you people? Why? Because it's more entertaining to the eye and the ear. Mm-hmm. And because these guys are young and they basically hit me, make hip statements and whatnot. And like you said, Kyle, the truth is basically something that isn't very sexy enough, but it is a threat to the establishment itself. When I say establishment, I don't mean that as a vague term. I'm talking about specifically the Republican Democratic parties and, of course, the private military industrial complex as well. And we can name names and whatnot. I don't like to be like Alex Jones or Tim Poole, you know, talking generalities, you know, threatening establishment, the Illuminati, World New World, all that shit is nonsense. Mm-hmm. And But, um, you know, when you threaten people with, um, you know, uh, by going public with their crimes, uh, that's exactly what we need to do. And we need to do it with more people on board. We can't do it with less people on board because we're not going to be heard. 
Right. So, yeah, that was in large part part of the reason why I wanted to bring up um, or write. I'm, I'm working on it. I've never written an article before, but I'm trying to build this comprehensive takedown and breakdown of Steve Bannon's history and then his history into Miles Glow mm-hmm. because it, there's just i'm sure you kind of run into this too and maybe we could talk about this but like when you start digging into people and trying to find their financial history and different information you end up with lawsuits and then they'll bring up names and then you find those names and those names have connections and you just end up in a never-ending spiral of information and you can never really it's hard to just get it all in aggregate and write it all down like um when i was reading stuff about miles Guo, it's like oh well this guy had his 20 year old daughter as the owner of his boat that steve bannon was arrested on mm-hmm. oh well his daughter has never actually ridden on the boat but his daughter's the one whose name it's in because there was a lawsuit and the ship was supposed to be i think it was like repoed essentially and it was at a repair shop under his daughter's name well once again this is in a lawsuit and then you find another lawsuit and it's just you know you end up going all over the place. So, um, and another interesting thing about this whole populist right movement, I'm sorry to be dragging us all over the no. place here, but um, with Miles Guo in particular, there was a cryptocurrency called G-Coin, I think it was, in GTV that put out a lot of this stuff like you'd see on the Epic Times that mm-hmm. um, they had a crypto, um, a crypto token that actually essentially defrauded people and they agreed to pay the sec 439 million dollars because of um it it wasn't a secure investment and investors had lost money on it and it's funny how you never hear about that but you're hearing all about the ftx scandal and it always gets put into this partisan lens like you're hearing this with the groomer stuff you're hearing it with ftx stuff oh it's just all democrats that are groomers it's just um you know, all Democrats that are getting money through FTX. And while I think there's probably a large degree of truth to it, we're hiding the fact that Republicans have done a lot of this stuff too. And that at one point, a speaker of the house who was a Republican was literally a pedophile. And that gets just thrown out the window because now grooming, you know, it's just leftists that are groomers. And now you're even see leftists starting to call Republicans groomers. And it's like, you can't maintain a dialogue when everybody that disagrees with you, (laughs) this is another thing. Everyone that disagrees with you is a groomer. Everyone disagrees with you is a demon. Everyone that disagrees with you is a Nazi. So like just the, the way that the conversation is going today, it's mind blowing to me. And I'm not a religious person, but like when I see people saying that everybody, all these leftists are possessed by demons i'm like you guys are calling atheists cringe but like you're literally saying people are possessed by demons like mm-hmm. let's let's just zoom out here for a second <laughs> i think when it comes to corruption you uh talk about steve bannon well, let's go back to uh his um uh problem back in august 20th of 2020 where he was actually charged by the southern district of new york uh along with Brian, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, I think it's Killage or something like that, mm-hmm. and three other defendants regarding the Build the Wall campaign. That he uh, knew was a fraud. Yeah, that he knew it was a fraud and got <laughs> millions, of, I think it was millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions uh, from taxpayer money. By the way, where's the wall? Um, but he was pardoned. <laughs> he was pardoned by Donald Trump uh, expectedly. And that's because I think uh, was Bannon was the former CEO of Breitbart News, I think. Yeah, well, uh, he was also the uh, White House strategist there for a little yeah, bit and right. then was let go. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Kyle. Thank you um, for sure. So they'll protect their own when it comes to corruption. But when it comes to overall corruption <laughs> from the Democrats, Republicans, yeah. 
God's sakes, take your pick, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, a great example is this, Kyle, is that um, the the squad is there called. That's Rashida Talib, yeah. Alexandria Cortez, and um, uh, uh, Corey Bush, I think. Uh, so Ayanna Presley is her name, I think. Thank That's you very much. Yeah. Right. So you have <laughs> these three young women who basically had such full of vigor and basically want to threaten the establishment. They're going to do this because they're for progressive values. And I said, all right, you know, everybody comes in with this, you know, big head, think they're going to change the world. Let's see if they do it. Now, I remember this back in 2018, 2019. And as soon as, you know, about a year comes in, all of a sudden she, they meet, they meet Nancy Pelosi, who's like, you know, the queen of like corruption and, you know, anti-ethical <laughs> American values, everything yeah. in itself. But, um, you know, slowly but surely, she's showing them how to, you know, how Congress really works. And what Congress really works is that it is through corruption and it is through um, manipulation of the people. There is no other way. If you're an honest congressperson, man or woman, no matter where political party you align with, if you do not um, become a spoke in the wheel, so to speak, and work within the establishment, well, you're not lasting very long. Right. If you're going to be a high critical of, say, Israel, well, guess what? You're not going to get those votes from the Hasidic community or from the Zionist community, even from both, even though they both share um, very disparaging uh, views of each other. Um, but, you know, if you're not, say, if you don't work with uh, Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell, so to speak, or if you won't work with, um, you know, you know, a high, high, a high powerful influential member of the Republican or Democrat or someone from the House or the Senate, and you're seen as a, you know, as a, um, you know, uh, what's the word? You're seen as a threat almost. I, like I don't pariah? think it's a threat. What's that? As like a pariah? Yeah, you're seen as more of a pariah, so to speak. <laughs> so you won't get those necessary votes. Say, say you want a, a vote for, you know, in your district, you want, say, uh, $2 million for the roads to be built in some district of your area. Um, so, you know, you won't get the, the the money or the backing from your constituents because you're seen as a rogue player, somebody who's not willing to fit in with the, you know, the corruption of the establishment. So no matter who you are, if you have all the intents and purposes of serving the community honestly, well, that's not going to be the case for long. You won't last for long because you won't service the uh, the real establishment. And that is the establishment of the rich and the powerful and influential. And what they want is not what the people want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's a very, very sad truth. Um, so one thing that was kind of interesting to me and was this whole uh, Speaker of the House situation that just happened this past week. And it was mm -hmm. very, very telling. And there was some good and some bad. So when I saw Matt Gates, who I've been insanely critical of, um, willing to go against Trump, who this dude has just never missed an opportunity to take a full-blown concussion from his penis to his brain. Um, <laughs> he, he, seeing him disagree with Trump was actually very, very admirable. And I, I called that out. I said, that's seeing him say that I disagree with Trump, who I've never, you know, who he greatly admires admirable and then lauren bobert did the same thing um to see some of these guys go away from the monolithic kind of you know maga chud line was once again i i respect that a lot but um marjorie taylor green 
it's interesting to see her willing to stand on her own amongst those peers because you know they're normally all very monolithic in their support for donald trump um to see marjorie taylor green disagree with them and die on the hill for mccarthy is admirable in one regard but the other regard it's also very bad because it's like this is where you're gonna die you sat here and said not one more penny for ukraine and Everybody has cheered you on for that. I, I mean, all the people in our space has said, like, this is great that she's doing that. Now, obviously, she's not good in Iran, Israel, or China. But in this one regard, she's excellent. But when you're nominating the Speaker of the House who has two Ukraine lapels and said, well, I don't know if we want to send a blank check to Ukraine, but like 115, you know, what is it, billion dollars? We could do that. But you know, it's just the blank check, a little too much. Um, it really nullifies all of her criticisms because now you've put somebody in one of the most powerful seats in our government to be Speaker of the House who's going to continue to fund this proxy war. So it's like, how much more can we take you seriously? So um, once again, I know I keep throwing a lot at you, but like this whole uh, nomination of the Speaker was an interesting scenario. And it, the, the two things that I really took away from it was it's nice to see people not monolithically go for Donald Trump. And maybe this is the sign of the times and they're going to move towards DeSantis. We can touch on that. But yeah. it was also interesting to see Marjorie Taylor Greene's independent streak, but also the fact that it seems like a lot of her criticisms are just criticisms. There's no action. They're just criticisms at this point. So um, your thoughts. I love I love that you bring this up because I was reading the other day <laughs> that the Republicans are basically having something that the Democrats are not doing, and that is debate within the House. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> so, all right, uh, let me put this into context as clearly as I can. There is a dividing line within the Republicans right now that the Democrats mm -hmm. don't have, and that is there are two Republican factors, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida and, of course, Donald Trump. One is basically a megalomaniac, a narcissist. That's Donald Trump. One is an establishment type who caters to the corporate narratives of Israel and uh, not so much the Gulf, but uh, wants to engage in conflict with China and Iran. Um, and South America as well. That, that's something that not a lot of people yeah, touch up, on. Yeah, yeah, very good, Kyle. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the issue about Argentina about the oil fields regarding um, that, which, by the way, has gone largely ignored and the economic sanctions we have on the country regarding Iran as well. Um, so you have this, it's not a debate, by the way, it's more of a fraction between the two. Right. There's a lot of friction between them right now. But I, I would say as we got closer to 2024, um, if DeSantis, who I think is going to win the majority of the conservatives backing. I think so too. Um, yeah, I think Trump has run his. But Trump will basically acquiesce, and he'll do it very uh, regretfully. Mm -hmm. But he'll see that the the benefactor is that. Oh, I'd rather see DeSantis than say a revisitation of you know the mummy Biden, who they want to run again. I can't believe it. Yeah. Uh, and Hillary Clinton. Uh, if the Democrats want to win some votes, they would get uh, Governor Newsom, who's much more younger and much more in line with the younger youth. But that's the reason why the, the Democrats lost in 20, uh, uh, 2016 is because they ran Hillary Clinton and Clinton has mm -hmm. no commonality with the American people. Right. Trump does. Trump basically is the first president that basically showed you a glimpse of what was going behind 
the curtains of the establishment and people feared him for it. And that's the reason why a lot of people, even the conservative uh, party basically uh, were highly critical of him. Now I'm not defending Donald Trump in any way. I think he was terrible, but so was right. every other president. Mm -hmm. But Donald Trump basically gave us a glimpse of what goes behind the scenes. And what we see is a horror of, you know, malcontents, oh. uh, you know, pedophiles and corruption and, you know, all these people that are basically allegedly representing us. And what do you think the rest of the world sees? Well, they see these people. Kevin McCarthy has voted the House Speaker, but yet Kevin McCarthy's policies are not in line with most of Trump's uh, when it comes to foreign policy. Uh, you know, Trump is basically trying to end, end, I guess, the conflict with Ukraine to an extent. But he's a continuation of the policies of Obama and Bush. McCarthy basically said in 2016, 2015, that they, uh, and this is before, you know, the, the conflict ramped up in Ukraine, that he thinks two people, one of them being Putin, is a threat to the world. Uh, basically thinks that um, uh, Rashida Tlaib and um, um, uh, Elon Omar, who was part of that uh, progressive a group as well, mm -hmm. uh, basically mm -hmm. said that uh, they're threats to the establishment of Israel because mm -hmm. they dare speak out against the Zionist policies of Israel, right. which McCarthy has to back because it's the only way you stay in power. So, mm -hmm. I mean, when, and also voiced support for Hong Kong protesters uh, writing that um, I think he said something about the NBA seems more worried about losing business than standing up for freedom. <laughs> you think this guy cares about freedom in what goes on in Taiwan or China? <laughs> Give me a break. You know, these people don't care. What they care about is their interests, and their interests um, involve money. And, you know, that's where the real money comes from when it comes from war. Uh, you know, Smedley Butler basically says, you know, war is a racket. Well, yeah, it is. It's also a financial, you know, a financial benefactor to many people in Congress. You know, George Orwell once wrote in 1984 that war was not meant to be won. It was meant to be continuous. Mm -hmm. Well, how many years have been the United States been at war at some point? Or pretty much most of its existence. Yeah. I think within the 200 and uh, last 200 years, it's uh, according to the um, World Health Organization, the United States has been at war for 188 of those years. Jesus. Yeah, and it's crazy. I was born in 1994. So for a majority of my life, um, you know, the U.S. has been at war and there, um, you know, it's almost cliche to say it because so many people say it, but there are people who are now old enough to go serve. Actually, there's people who were born when the 9-11 attacks happened mm. that can now go drink alcohol at a bar. It's, yeah, that's, that's stunning, isn't it, really? And we're still at war um, mm. because of that. Now, it's also interesting that, you know, there was never a formal declaration of war. There was just the authorized use of military force, which it's like mental gymnastics to say that and not call it war. But, um, you know, it, it it is just that, obviously. Um, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, <laughs> I, I My wife and I are watching Jack Ryan again because it just came out with season three. Uh, I don't know if you've watched no. that. No. Okay, so um, it, it is kind of like literally neocon propaganda. It's made by Tom Clancy, if you know who Tom oh, Clancy okay. is. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So so you know what it's coming at. Mm -hmm. And it, it is a great show. Don't get me wrong. Like the characters and the story is really interesting. 
But um, I was going to tweet this out that uh, I think Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis both watched um, season two of Jack Ryan because they're basically it's literally just propaganda about Venezuela and how Venezuela was going to get nukes from Russia or something like that. So I think at the end of the uh, show, the main character, Jack Ryan, um, I think he either kills the president of Venezuela or like arrests him or something like that. So you know what it is. But yeah, if you look up the show, it'll say it's pretty much like CIA propaganda. And um, the other interesting thing about all these kind of military films and propaganda is that you don't get the military equipment unless, you know, you agree to take funding from them or promote, you know, military stuff. So like if your film has a certain agenda to it, then they don't give you the props from the military. So, um yeah, the whole um, South America stuff was really something I didn't know until I started talking to another mutual friend of ours, uh, Robbie Martin. Um, um, when I listened to Robbie and Abby talking about some of the stuff that was going on in South America, I'm like, I, I never knew that. But this is another area where actually a lot of the populist right-wingers are really bad on. Like this guy, Anthony Sabatini, who was kind of hoisted to a lot of libertarians. Um, and I was told that this guy's like, uh, oh, he's a narco-capitalist, but he's just running as a Republican. And then if you look, th the two moments that I stopped believing that this guy was somebody that we should listen to mm. was when he said we should execute Cuban leaders, <laughs> literally, like verbatim. He said we should um, – he has to forfeit being in the government or something like that and then be executed. And then the other one was he tweeted out the key takeaway from 9-11 is that we need an immigration moratorium. I'm like, I, uh. this dude's a fucking moron. I'm sorry, but I, that that is like as dumb as the day is long. As a guy who's supposed to be a libertarian saying that the key takeaway from 9-11 is an eviction mor or a uh, immigration moratorium, I, I, I can't take him seriously anymore. So once again, I know I threw a lot at you, but just, yeah, anything you got? Yeah, no, for those uh, who are you know not aware about what's going on in Venezuela, uh, you have an ongoing um, uh, socioeconomic uh, crisis, as well as a political crisis that's been going on since the presidency of Hugo Chavez, but has worsened with uh, Nicolas Maduro. Um, it's been marked by uh, what's happening here, hyperinflation, uh, but they have a, a problem with uh, starvation as well, affecting over um, a quarter of a million people uh, per capita. Um, and which led to a rise of crime, uh, disease, and mortality rates that are affecting, you know, every aspect of waking life regarding uh, the people in Venezuela, which has caused a lot of people to um, basically become uninterested because, uh, you know, legacy media, of course, is not reporting on what is happening. Mm -hmm. Now, with Maduro himself, um, he's the uh, president of Venezuela since 2013. You know, there's a there's a um, a huge problem with the United States and uh, Venezuela itself, and that is that the foreign policy between them isn't as pronounced. And what is happening with most of South America is that they are basically the benefactors of every ugly intervention with the United States, starting as back in the 1940s and 50s. Now, my co-host Richard Cox did a great. Uh, series. Uh, I think the best series I ever heard. It's called the Empire, um, the Empire series, where he talks about the United States intervention in countries like Puerto Rico and, and Hawaii and South America and Central America, and he goes into great detail. And um, I would recommend anybody to listen to that. Now, as for like you know 
generalities of of uh, you know Central America. I'm not very much uh, uh, educated on that subject, mm -hmm. but um, one thing is for certain is that uh, the um, the presidency of of, of Maduro has uh, been a disaster as of late regarding what is happening in, in Venezuela. But the United States basically doesn't care about, you know, Colombia, Venezuela, um, and Honduras or anything like that. They've been uh, primarily victims of the CIA and uh, the coups that have happened throughout the 1970s and 80s through the banana wars and whatnot. And uh, basically what has happened is that it's led to a rise of corruption to to where it would put like Medellin, Colombia, the shame. You know, one of the most dangerous gangs in the whole world um, is MS-13. And it's arising out of the, um, I think it's Honduras, I think, uh, the, the country uh, that MS-13 is from. In fact, I'm going to cheat, see if I'm right. Oh, that's um, okay. Is Maduro, uh, um, was he... I'm a little foggy on the Venezuela stuff. And like I said, I only learned about it because of media roots radio, but um, was he installed by the U S because I know they were trying to overthrow. Um, they were trying to do a coup. The CIA that is, um, was trying to do a coup in Venezuela. Was he installed or was that failed? I, I I'm sorry. I can't remember. Uh, I want to say that uh, he became president after he defeated. Um, he had a long name. Red, Redonsky or something like that. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of, he won by uh, by 230,000 votes. There was a huge conspiracy behind that saying uh, that um, there was some election interference mm -hmm. and one of them being, of course, the United States. And I wouldn't be surprised because Maduro okay. basically his policies in line with the United States and that's the reason why. Radonsky basically is a, is, um, uh, he was a, a power player within uh the uh it's the lower capitalists of the country itself so he was also a lawyer and he's um i want to say he co-founded um primero something primero justico primero justice which yeah. is a, a a small group of uh, basically a center a right up um a center right party but it wasn't very popular with the united states and they basically wanted maduro to win and um, I don't know for sure if there was any election fraud, but would it surprise you, Kyle, if there was? Uh, <laughs> which is the reason why we implemented a lot of the leaders in Central America throughout the 70s and 80s and mm -hmm. killed a lot of people. Um, um, not that guy's name who wrote, um, he was basically a financial hitman. It's going to kill me. Um, he's done some interviews before, and he was interviewed by Chris Hedges and whatnot. Mm -hmm. He's a reputable guy. He wrote a book. And I uh, forgive me, I, I forgot his name. He basically was behind a lot of those coups in Central America in the seventies, and basically was acting on accordance with the United States uh, through the, um, uh, I think it was the Carter and uh, Ford administrations and whatnot. Okay. Um, I could be wrong about the generation or two, but he um, basically was acting as a um, a financial advisor to the United States government. And try to persuade some of these people to basically say, hey, wait a minute, you know, instead of, you know, invoking your own policies, you know, you should try working with the United States. And basically some of those people weren't and they basically were either upended to a coup or basically assassinated.
And um, I wouldn't be surprised Maduro was implemented as a president through uh, election interference in the United States. Wouldn't be the first time. And this is the reason why I'm saying, like, you know, with the January 6th deal, um, all these leftists are basically saying, oh, you know, they're trying to uh, force, um, um, you know, election interference. Well, what the hell are you surprised about? We do it all the time. (laughs) We do it all the time around the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, you, You only care because it's basically upending you know, the democratic establishment that right. you favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy along with it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, when it comes to Maduro, I'm not surprised that the United States basically implied him in power. Mm-hmm. Would it be too much of a fringe conspiracy? No, because we've done it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the, the South America stuff is really interesting. And now I guess we could kind of shift over to DeSantis because um, mm. this seems to be something that's really building. And this is something where libertarians even kind of infight about. Um, so obviously let's get the standard caveat out of the way. Yes. During COVID-19, he was excellent. And my wife and I vacationed to Florida. We got married in Florida. Mm. I, I, I would live in Florida if I could. Right. Because I just, I love the weather and I say it all the time, but like the air just feels like happiness down there. So um, I, I, I have no problem with him being there and I think he should stay there. Now, moving on from that, let's look at his voting record. Um, you would be hard-pressed to find where he disagreed with Marco Rubio, of all people, other than mm-hmm. regime change in Syria, which he later changed his mind on because it was no longer Obama's war in Syria. It was Trump dropping bombs on Syria. And the, the frustrating thing when it comes to Syria, and I'm very, very ignorant on Syria, I don't know anything about it really, is um, people always say, oh, Trump bombed Syria. It's like, well, you don't understand how bad Trump's you know, drone strike legacy was, I oh. mean, m- multiples and multiples worse in the first two years of his term than Obama's entire eight years. Which um, is unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's absolutely unbelievable. So just this idea that he was some peacetime president is just like <laughs> mind blowing to me. There's people really pedal this out. Like I, I talk to people all the time who say, oh, Trump, there were no wars under Trump. Like you are out of your mind. And I get it because, once again, misinformation on the other side, and it's to your narrative. Trump looks like a good guy if there were no wars on his watch. So DeSantis, great on COVID, but he's a total neocon. I mean, he worked Mm. in Guantanamo Bay and um, also was in Fallujah in 2005 under – he was a Navy JAG officer and this elite who went to a, you know, Yale or a Ivy League school. And I don't know if you listen to the, I think it's the Eyes Left podcast. Um, Abby Martin's husband, I think, ran it. Lee, Lee Camp? Okay, no, no, I'm... Is that her Yeah, husband? yeah, no, no, okay, yeah, it was Lee Camp, I think, who did the interview with somebody who was actually um, at, the, at Guantanamo Bay at the same time DeSantis was. Um are you familiar with that at all? No. Okay, so yeah, if you get a chance after this, I definitely recommend listening to it because it's very interesting. And as good Samaritans as I like to believe that we are, um, I want to approach this with a healthy amount of skepticism. You have one person who was in Guantanamo Bay when DeSantis was, and DeSantis was sent there to basically make sure that human rights were being observed and followed when people were being tortured in guantanamo bay right basically what desantis did by this person's account and once again this is just one person's account is that he 
talked to them and figured out what they didn't like, what was going on. And just, you know, hey, you know, what could we do to make your life better? And he exploited that and made their torture much worse, as in mm. all the things they told him were bad. He made sure that it was a lot worse. And then when in Fallujah, obviously, that was a very, very bad time in Fallujah in 2005, 2006. He was there to oversee human rights as well. So um, and, and you know that anytime the, the government refers to human rights, it's in violation of them or they're going to doctor it to make it look like they weren't violating them. So um, once again, this is just one person's account, but it's definitely noted. And if you look at his voting history and the way that he talks about other countries and even the way that he talks about the death penalty, um, it's kind of hard not to think that he's not literally just George Bush 2.0. So um, once again, I know I threw a whole ton at you, but um, what are your thoughts with DeSantis um, 2024? Because I agree with you. I think he's going to be the guy. What's up everybody. Um, we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors. Um, we are brought to you by Element T electrolytes. I've been using this stuff for years. And what I've honestly found is that if I didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio, and sometimes even before workouts, that my workout performance or definitely cardio performance would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. And let's say you drink a lot of caffeine, like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea, like I do every single morning, um, put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Um, also, it tastes really, really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, or even coconut. Now mix that all up. It tastes really, really good. So uh, yeah, make sure you drop by, go to drinklmnt.com slash inliberty and health and uh, pick you up some electrolytes today. All right, guys. Thanks. He's going to win the presidency, I think, in 2024. Yeah. And I think he has the majority of the conservatives behind him. He's also young, very invigorating. A lot of people gravitate toward that. You know, we have uh, a lot of younger people now voting than ever before. And I think what they want to do is swing those votes from the Democratic Party, who have a lot of young people, believe it or not, and want to try to get the fence-sitters, not so much the people who are establishment, you know, I hate to use that term, woke types. God, right. I hate that term. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I know get, why. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, they want to try and get the fence-sitters as much as possible. This is something that, you know, they failed in 2020, is that... Um, they basically catered to just their own circle. They did not go out. Republicans did not. And I think they learned their lesson from this. DeSantis did. And this is the reason why he separated from Trump. He saw Trump. Trump only catered to his own circles. This was a huge political mistake on Trump's part. And this is the reason why he lost. And, you know, say what you want about electric fraud and, you know, all these votes, you know, really came from dead people or people that didn't exist. Well, the Republicans played that, too. So the Democrats just cheated, you know, more. That's all. And they won. Right. So um, uh, so Biden, basically, the Democrats, what they don't do well is that they don't showcase. Uh, they don't know how how to appease uh, the American audience. They won't throw out like people like, you know, a young hip person like they should do with uh, Newsom. 
Newsom is a lot younger than Biden and Clinton and you know those old mummies. And then if you have someone like Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders caters to like you know that you know progressive crowd, but right. you know he's been losing a lot of that luster, especially with the latest debacle with um, uh, the House floor regarding um, the war powers uh, resolution. Yeah, the, 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 the civil war in Yemen. So he lost, you know, his voice there. But if, as long as they put out these mummies that basically are not up and they're not, they don't have the energy behind them and they don't have um, that, I guess that, you know, persuasive ability about them. DeSantis has that. DeSantis mm-hmm. is really a go-getter. He's out there. He's very active. He travels around the world. He goes around the country he know he don't he won't just stay in Florida. He'll he'll do what Trump doesn't do. You know, Trump, yeah, he'll have his rallies here and there, but the rallies only cater to that one specific group. DeSantis is gonna go out and get those fence sitters. He's gonna go out and say, Hey, aren't you tired of this and that? He'll say all the right things, things that the Biden administration, the Trump administration doesn't say. And that he's gonna get those financial backers behind him. And the more financial backers behind DeSantis, mm-hmm. the more apt he's gonna win. I think what's gonna happen is the Biden administration has been a total disaster. Uh, he's nothing has changed, like he said in the, you know that dinner, that audio dinner that uh, somebody caught. That nothing is going to fundamentally change. Well, nothing didn't. The only thing that changed was the more closing of businesses during the COVID crisis, which was a complete and utter disaster, in which the economic ramifications are not going to be felt until DeSantis gets into office, which is usually the case, and he's going to get blamed for that. But, um, you know, with COVID, with foreign policy, a disaster regarding Saudi Arabia, in which he visited, tried to, you know, get more barrel production of oil. And even the crown prince, Bin Salman, said no. And that's the first time he ever said no to a sitting president. Um, Yemen, uh, the worst humanitarian crisis in the world currently. We're still funding uh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which Biden basically ran on the premise of saying he wouldn't. And broke that promise. Yep. Everything that Biden did, he, it was a complete disaster. And I think what's going to happen is basically a lot of those people, the centrists, are basically going to gravitate to um, to DeSantis. I don't know who the Democrats are going to run, but according to what I'm hearing, Biden again and Hillary Clinton again. Mm-hmm. I will assure you, 2024 will be red. And yeah. <laughs> then the real fun begins, mm-hmm. because like I said before, if you want to see real crazies, just like you said, Kyle, DeSantis foreign policy is an extension of Bush. And you want to see a real neocon? Here it is. And he's young, too. And he has the backing of the one institution that is basically making a revisit in Israel. And as the American Israeli Public Affairs Committee, also known as APAC, because mm-hmm. guess what? Guess who's prime minister once yet again? That's right, the murderous sociopath, Benjamin Netanyahu. Do you see where this is going, ladies and gentlemen? Mm -hmm. By 2024, we're going to see what I've always believed to be a war with Iran. And I think that's going to be the case in 2024 or 2026 between those years. Horton disagrees with me on that, but um, I'm going to hold my guns and say that's going to be the case. I... I agree with you. I, I I hate to disagree with Scott, but um, it, it's so funny because this Iran situation is such like a gaslit issue mm. because they've always, always, always have been very, very compliant and very, very willing to negotiate with the U.S. I mean, we have them under 
crippling sanctions. And every single time that, you know, we have, you know, we flirt around with going back to the nuclear deal. Um, they're they're like begging for it. Hey, we'll let you inspect everything. Mm. Um, just say you'll stay in for this term, you know, just for Biden's term. Um, and they just we keep kicking them to the curb every single time. And we've been hearing for literally 30 years. Um, the one thing I love to bring up with people is um the coin term a freedman unit um back in i think it was the 90s where um they call a freedman unit six months because um there was a guy with the last name freedman who kept saying um iran is six months away from having a nuke and he kept saying that so people eventually coined the term freedman unit if i remember correctly mm. and um yeah DeSantis is horrible on this he's atrocious on iran mm. and um you know trump was too you know airstriking one of their generals um it's it's not shaping up to be a good situation and biden hasn't been good on it so you know we can keep spitting in their eye but how long you know are they going to tolerate it they've been plenty patient over the last you know how long but um you know i i, I think people don't realize that um the democrats especially have not realized how far they pushed a lot of people in this country where now i feel like we're going to have that as you said desantis who culturally really represents a lot of people on the right right now and a lot of people resonate with him and they see the way he's very decisive and accurate in what he wants um i think his presidency is not going to be that way but they like that about him they like this decisiveness they like this firm kind of guy that desantis is and they're willing to ignore all this horrible horrible foreign policy stuff just because he's going to culturally win so you know when you're seeing these artificially boosted drag shows which are all over the place now and i don't believe it's a you know a natural thing i think this is being put out there to aggravate people um i i think it's you know we're going to have that i don't want to say right-wing dictator because i don't think it's going to be that bad but um, you're going to get a sharp fucking reaction. Trump was a little bit of that, but I think DeSantis mm. is going to be much worse. You know, in uh, 20, uh, September of 2018, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, went to the United Nations General Assembly and basically held up this, you know, cardboard cutout of a bomb that basically said that, you know, Israel is, um, you know, that closer to getting a nuclear bomb. It was similar to what uh, the United States did in the United Nations Security Council in 2003 when they were going to war with with uh, with Iraq, and he showed these cartoons of caves with all these um, you know chemical <laughs> biological factories in them, and I'm like, wow, that's your evidence? That's what you got? Um, it's so silly on its face to think about that. <laughs> I can't. I I mean, God sakes! I mean, we're living in a cartoon world, but mm -hmm. I mean, this all stems from the civilian civil war as of late. I'll keep it recent so I won't lose the attention of the audience. Um, regarding DeSantis' policy with Iran, it's strictly an Israel policy. This is not a U.S. policy. And, uh, you know, I can't, I don't know how many times I have to repeat myself before I sound like a broken record. You know, when the Syrian war happened in 2011, they basically took advantage of the situation. And I mean, look, Assad is a uh, brutal dictator, but at the other end of that spectrum, do you want, you know, radical jihadists to basically govern a country and create a caliphate that basically will, you know, continual war with you know with the parties involved with the war with Assad there's, there's no winner here I mean there's no winner same thing you know happening in um uh, in Afghanistan or Iraq or Ukraine there was either you're going to have a, a terrible dictator or at the other end of that spectrum you know these radical fundamentalists 
from a nationalist point of view or a religious point of view. So what happened during the Syrian civil war was Iran got involved because Iran has longstanding relations with the Assad family that goes back many decades. And Syria is basically an extension of Iran where there's a large uh, minority of Shia and Alawites that live there. And they're an extension to Lebanon, which is home of Hezbollah. And, uh, you know, the, to, to, to Israel, Hezbollah is the, you know, the biggest threat on the face of the earth um, besides Iran. And uh, basically what they want to do is create this Oded Yunnan type of situation. And for those who think that Oded Yunnan policy was a conspiracy, well, guess what? A lot of those uh, policies within that plan came to fruition. So whether you want to say it's conspiracy or not, just, you know, conveniently, uh, it just so happens it worked out that way where they basically want to destroy the link between Lebanon and Iran, creating that divide and destroying the the pipeline between uh, Iran and Hezbollah and destroy the uh, the allies to I Iran and basically create um, the countries like Syria and Iraq and break them up into monopolies within themselves, basically favoring the, you know, the West or Israel. And at the same time, you have the Gulf, Saudi Arabia, which is a basically, you know, uh, the, the spokesman for Sunni branch of Islam. Meanwhile, Sunni Islam condemns them as being anti-ethical and heretical. But they're in line also with the Israeli United States creating, saying, we want to get rid of these uh, the Shia minority too. And they consider them even worse than like polytheists or atheists or Jews. Mm -hmm. And so you have all these, you know, this act, the real axis of evil that Bush once said, you know, this axis of evil, yeah. the real axis of evil is the United States, Israel, and Saudi Arabia. And meanwhile, um, all this comes into play when it comes to the Middle East. So with Iran, DeSantis basically is going to acquiesce to Israel and basically say, yeah, all right, let's, you know, finally end this enemy. And at the same time, let's make sure that the enemy never regurgitates itself. So in other words, that Syria was must always be, you know, fractured and destroyed. And of course, you have the problem with Lebanon. Now, Lebanon is not as politically powerful as Syria or Iran, but they do pose a threat. But that's going to be up to Israel itself. I don't think the United States could afford to basically, you know, intervene in that convention. But without Syria and Iran, Lebanon basically is surrounded by the Gulf and, and Israel itself, and they won't pose much of a threat. But as long as Hezbollah is active, and as long as Hezbollah has a link to the Persians, as long as a link to Syria, they pose a threat to Israel, which we need to keep Israel and Saudi Arabia honest. And without that, they basically will control all of the Middle East. And what's left? Israel and Saudi Arabia. Who do you think the United States is going to side with if it comes down to that? Israel. It's going mm -hmm. to be because the largest influx of Zionists in the world resides not in Israel, but they reside in the United States. In fact, one third of the voting bloc in the United States are considered technically Zionist. And well, when I say Zionist, I'm talking about Christian evangelicals. And they are the ruse of the whole um, um, uh, southwest of the United States. Now, uh, you know, you're saying, well, how did Biden win the election if that's the case? Well, basically, a lot of those people are old and mm -hmm. they can't get to a voting po a po poll and uh, basically vote. Mm -hmm. And that's why they want to destroy mail-in voting, which is, I think, a big mistake on the Republicans part. That's what Trump wanted to get rid of the um, mm -hmm. the mail-in voting system, which basically, you know, ruins the chance of a lot of his voting bloc 
to basically not vote. And I think that's, I don't know why, but Trump is not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, but yeah, I think when it comes to foreign policy, DeSantis poses a bigger threat than Biden or Trump ever could, because here's a guy who basically wants war on two fronts, you know, China and Iran at the same time, which will destroy the United States in, in essence. Economically, we'll, we will be depleted. It, it will, the, the, the amount of the, the recession that's going to come from COVID, Kyle, hasn't been hit yet. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't shown. I mean, we're going to be in a business recession quite soon. Homelessness is about to exponentially rise uh, when the courts basically want their rents from these people, which were suspended here in New York, which I live. Uh, we're starting to see the ramifications of that. But if we go into a full-scale military invasion of a country, it will basically destroy the economic uh, economics of the of the country that we haven't seen even in, which would repel 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, these military adventures have just completely robbed the American people blind mm. to pay for them. And DeSantis doesn't seem to care a wink about that at all. Um, and that's really interesting that you brought up the ballot harvesting idea. And I think, I'll be honest, I don't think Donald Trump um, won the election at all. I don't think there was any kind of manufactured scheme against him. I really think it was just a lot of poor planning on his part. And you kind of hit on this a little bit earlier. Um, In 2020, so I live in Pennsylvania, right? And we had some pretty strict lockdowns. Um, When you're telling people over the summer when their businesses are burning down, Mm -hmm. they're locked in their home. And you're offering them table scraps compared to everything else. And Mm. you're telling them don't vote by mail, only go in person and vote. And you're telling them that you're going to keep America great after 2020. I think a lot of people feel slapped in the face. People like me who are younger and own a house and we see our, you know, the future that's going to be coming forward. It's like, I don't, America's not great right now for me. So I I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not convinced. And then same thing with people going like the more even younger conservative people who may be going through college or stuff like that. They don't feel America's great either because they're like, Oh, well I have these student loans and I can't afford to pay them. Um, I can't get a job right now because you know, everything's locked down and you have to get a certain treatment. So that way you can get your card to go to work. Um, and then you tell everybody don't vote by mail all that together, I think that leads to a loss. And then you have Biden, who's a corpse, and he says, hey, I'm not that guy, and um, I'm going to try and make things better. People are like, oh, well, you know what? I believe him, and right now things are bad, so let's just try Blue MAGA and see what happens. And obviously we see that didn't work, but then now, um, you know, in response to that, now it's, okay, well, DeSantis is decisive, and he took care of Florida, so he'll take care of the United States, right? I think that's the way that it's going to go. And that's the way that I see the last, you know, these whole eight years from 2016 to 2024 playing out. You, you know, it's funny is that a lot of people have amnesia when it Mm -hmm. comes to politics. So (laughs) what people tend to forget is that all the COVID, the the initial start of the COVID policy started under Trump. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people basically tend to forget that. But one thing about Donald Trump I found, Kyle, was that I think he would have won 2020 had he not basically ruined it in the last year of his presidency, where he started saying that, oh, COVID won't hit nobody. It's a fake, uh, you know, leftist policy that they're trying to scare people. And then when we finally realized that, hey, wait a minute, this is a real 
you know, pandemic, so to speak, and it's actually coming to the United States, everything that he said about COVID-19 was basically false. And then afterwards, what they found out was, was that a lot of people in the House and Senate, basically, um, there was this big, um, um, I say conspiracy, but it was actually a fact uh, regarding that certain people, one of them being a former um, Joint House Inquiry panelist, um, Richard Barr, mm-hmm. who basically had um, uh, like uh, money going into, <clears throat> excuse me, um, N95 masks or something like that. There was another congresswoman that basically had a friend within um, the, uh, the infectious disease uh, uh, center. And she basically uh, had stock in like N95 masks and it just sort of had a rise and they benefited from it. And there was a lot of investigation into that. Um, but Donald Trump basically uh, threw away whatever left of any type of influence he had going into 2020. And yet he still got 74 million votes, which was stunning. So there was a lot of votes regarding it, um, his presidency. It just goes to show you that um, a lot of people basically uh, didn't want Biden to win, but then wanted change and thought that Biden would be that change regarding yep. the repressive policies under Trump mm-hmm. that started with uh, within him. And of course, the disastrous foreign policy of Trump regarding Syria and um, and um, uh, Yemen and the continuation of those policies of Obama and Bush. And what happened was in 2020, fascinating a part about it was that Biden didn't do anything interesting, nothing. His campaign <laughs> was very boring. Um, he basically made a placating promise that, oh, I'll end the war in Yemen. I'll uh, stop giving aid to Saudi Arabia. Oh, I'll basically won't shut down any businesses in, in, you know during this pandemic. And went back on every policy as soon as he got in office, almost right away. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of those people basically um, are going to basically remember that. But, you know, like I said, every four years, it seems that people get amnesia and basically forget that the, oh, by the way, the Republicans will make it right if we just vote for Republican. And then when those policies don't, you know, transpire to partition next four years, oh, we got to vote for somebody different. Or maybe this uh, progressive will basically be the next, you know, next big thing. And then the problems continue. And then, by the way, you don't have any more rights. You don't have any more civil liberties. Now what do you have left? Nothing. And Mm -hmm. so you have nothing to forget, but everything to remember. And that it was your own ignorance regarding voting for these people to begin with. And, um, you know, I think with uh, the 2020 debacle, what's interesting, Kyle? Into 2016 election, the 2016 election, we had the the largest percentage of the non-voting bloc in history. Mm-hmm. That reversed in 2020, and we saw the ah. largest amount of people voting in history. I don't know if you want to say there's a conspiracy about fictional votes. You know, I wouldn't disagree, but I don't know for sure. But mm-hmm. it just goes to show you that the two oldest presidents in history got two of the largest votes in history as well. Biden being the oldest and mm-hmm. Donald Trump being the second oldest president in history. Wow. Yeah, that is really interesting. Jesus. Yeah. It's going forward. I think Trump has kind of seen his time come and go. And, um, you know, I think 2020 really was the year that he fell apart because at the debates, mm-hmm. he was like an unhinged dog. And don't get me wrong, it's really entertaining to watch Trump go after people just because he, he is funny. But at the same time, I think people saw that as like, oh, he's 
he's feeling it. You know, he's really on the ropes. Mm. So um, these next couple of years are going to be really, really interesting. And I, I think it is going to be a sharp turn red. But I mean, we kind of expected the same thing out of the midterms, but it wasn't exactly that, which um, although when I saw the results, I wasn't exactly surprised. It does seem just like blue areas went more blue, red areas went more red. And that's because people just decided like what they were willing to tolerate. They weren't willing to tolerate COVID policies. So they went hmm. somewhere that um, didn't have them. And the people who liked them just stayed where they're at because they were happy. That's yeah. We're um, still the, what the midterms did show was that we're still divided as a nation. Mm -hmm. So all we did was flip. We, we should, we exchanged places for an example, the, the uh, Republicans went Senate and the, the house went to the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And so what's going to change? Nothing. I mean, until we have a competing party that threatens this narrative, I mean, it's still going to be Democrats, Republicans. Now, the Republicans, like I said before, Kyle, is that they have this division in within itself. And if DeSantis wins outright, which I think he's going to, what will become of the Trumpers? Right. Will they create that third party or will they acquiesce and say, you know what, we'll just you know be part of the, the DeSantis clan? I don't know. But I'm starting to see a worrying trend is that the, the Trumpers basically are so indignant and that they will create a party within themselves. And this is the reason why I think the libertarians, ah, you know, I, you, you guys could have been that threat. But if this happens and this is my fear, um, is that the Trumpers will create their own party and basically called the Trump party uh, mm -hmm. because it's all centered on him and that they will get uh, a large amount of the votes. And if they win and they, if they could get, if they persuade the, the members of like the Democrats and Republicans to join them and basically say, Hey, we want a real new world, a real government, a real, you know, uh, a change. Um, This could be a big, big problem down the road. Of course, this is, uh, you know, a far-fetched idea I have, but, um, you know, it's a worrying trend I'm starting to see. It's a radical uh, uh, party. It's an extremist party, and it wouldn't be necessarily conservative. I think what it would be is a totalitarian, authoritarian type. So a mixture of the worst of the Democrats and Republicans all into one. And I think that's what the Trump, uh, the Trump party would be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I really think, though, that I think a lot of the Trumpers are going to say a third party can't win. So we're going to acquiesce behind DeSantis. And like this whole idea that the Republicans became anti-war just always seems so silly on, mm. to me on its face because everybody always says that. But it's like you realize these people would still say that we would like to turn the whole Middle East into a, a sheet of glass if we could. Um, the, the same people who were thirsty for blood. Um, you know, the moment that the two towers went down and said that we need to go kill all Muslims and, oh, we got to fight them over there. So we don't fight them here. Um, they're the same exact people. And I don't think that bloodlust on a large, you know, population of the voting populace ever went away. I, I think they just shifted their focus over towards China. And you do see some of this in like this neo McCarthyism almost where, mm. um, there's some university professors who are Chinese that are being, thrown in jail for being spies they're calling tiktok digital fentanyl um we're being told that um china's flooding our country or flooding the mexican market with fentanyl even though they made um fentanyl illegal in 2019 and punished people severely over there for making it um the tiktok stuff i've talked about this ad nauseum on twitter um mm. all the private information from people 
um, on TikTok is stored on a, a server here in the US, but they never talk about how Israel has access to everybody's private information. That little detail gets left out. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff about the China and the populist right rabbit hole. And um, the it just, I, I don't think that it's a sincere turn of being anti war. I think it was just Trump said the stuff that um, some of the base wanted to hear. And they thought his talking points surrounding war sounded good, so they just adopted them. I don't think they had a sincere change of heart and think that Muslims are just a different group of people from the United States, which, you know, they're just different culture. We don't understand their culture, and that's mm. fine. We don't have to, but they're not a threat to Americans. The anti-war Republicans remind me of people who say, well, you know, I'm not going to be a thief, so I won't steal from Target, but I will steal from Walmart. <laughs> and, you know, it's it just it's it's really interesting to me that people like Matt Gates and, you know, um, you know, uh, Lauren Boebert and you know, the whole crew uh, mm -hmm. basically will adamantly oppose the Ukraine crisis. But they'll basically advocate uh, very voicefully about the crisis in, in China or Iran. Mm -hmm. So you're not anti-war. You're just anti, you know, um, you're, you're, you're more selective about who you want to go to war with right. and who you want to conflict with. Anti-war means anti-war. You're against war against, you know, anyone at any time, anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and basically you have to stick to your guns on that. Now, yeah, yeah. is every country going to be, uh, you know, peaceful country, whatnot? No, but you know what? Why can't we get more diplomats? And why can't we get um, unbiased or uninfluenced by political party um, advocates who are basically speak on behalf and say, hey, listen, you know, we can resolve this crisis what does it entail? What are the problems? That's what we need more of. Not you know military analysts in Pentagon basically you know trying to draw up plans for a, a ten year, twenty year war with somebody, or how can we facilitate a coup and basically you know create you know um, a situation where a country can destroy itself? And that's what they're doing with Russia. The United States basically is not in Ukraine fighting against them, but they're facilitating just like what they did with the Soviet Union in Afghanistan by giving, you know, billions of dollars to uh, through a proxy war, which will basically, you know, drain Russia in time, in, in time. And so that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, that's how they'll destroy Russia economically through a longstanding 10, I don't know how many years that's going to be a conflict for, with, with Afghanistan was 10. But um, Ukraine, it could be 10, could be 20. But the longer it goes on, the worse off it is for Russia itself. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of factors at play. I mean, we have, you know, NATO expansionism, which is backed by the United States. You have U.S. military private industrialists who are making hand over fist by promoting, you know, pr producing weapons like missiles and bullets that are going directly to God knows who, because the Pentagon basically said in a Bloomberg report, Report that they didn't know where most of the weapons were being uh, promoted to and given to, and who knows. Uh, same thing with the Afghanistan-Soviet war. We knew where the weapons were going. They were going to the Mujahideen. Well, by the way, they continued that jihad into the United States, which gave us, you know, a prime facial conflict of the next 15, 20 years. And basically, that war was a war of terrorism. And by the way, there's no timetable on that, which is an ingenious idea. It's, an, it's a war against an ideology, not against a country or a name, which right. is un unbelievable. In fact, 1999, the CIA said, we're going to war with Al-Qaeda, uh, basically, you know, this ragtag group. By the way, they're not a country. That's not, a, you know, a military, um, you know, army or whatnot. Right. They're, you know, ragtag group of people that basically were funded by Osama bin Laden. 
Bin Laden's dead now. So is Dr. Ahmed al-Zwahiri. So is just about every other high-ranking al-Qaeda leader that's in Guantanamo Bay or killed. Well, now we need a new war. Now, we currently are facilitating conflicts in Yemen and Ukraine. But we need a real war, a war where the United States can basically intervene and get, you know, the generals pleasing at the, you know, the ghoulish generals in the Pentagon pleased. And, of course, the private military industrialists. So, I mean, you know, it's very, when was the last time we intervened in a country? Well, it's been a while. I mean, Syria, we were invited. Well, it's Iraq, 2003. And so what we need now is a new intervention. And every 20 years, it basically, it's historical. Every uh, 15, 20 years, the United States intervenes militarily in a country. Well, we're long overdue. Damning to think about. Yes. And even, by the way, Iran would be a tremendous, the reason why we haven't invaded Iran. Uh, I've interviewed Lawrence Wilkerson, who was an assistant mm-hmm. to the Secretary of State, uh, Colin Powell, under the Bush administration. And he's basically told me that the reason why they haven't invaded Iran was because the United States generals at the Pentagon saw Iran as a very formidable adversary. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Iraq, where we starved them on the oil for food program in 1990, where basically half the country was under you know, the poverty level, we can easily just go in there and destroy them. Iran is a very stable country economically. Now, yes, they've been, you know, there's a civil war, so to speak, or a protest against the, the, the ghoulish mullahs of the country. But as a, as a whole, the Persians are a fighting force, generational, unlike the Arabs. Mm-hmm. The Arabs are basically not very good fighters. Persians and Shias are absolutely amazing fighters generations of fighters and in them um and iran basically is a very stable country very military capable country and the pentagon knows that and so wilkerson basically said when obama took office that if he does engage with israel and talks with um king salman regarding an invasion of, of iran the pentagon generals would authorize a walkout and would not entertain because they saw that any type of invasion would would lead to tens of thousands, if not over a hundred thousand U.S. military deaths in the first year. Mm-hmm. And so, if this war were to fruition, Kyle, it would be an unmitigated disaster. Mm-hmm. Would DeSantis make that bold something that Bush, something that Obama, something that Biden and and Trump didn't do? Would DeSantis acquiesce and say yes, let's go? I think he would. I I think he would too. It's mm. it's damning to think about, and um, I don't think a lot of people are considering the uh, real ramifications of a uh, DeSantis presidency because it it can get pretty ugly. Um, Adam, we've been going for almost two hours. I've I've enjoyed every second of this. You're so, a wealth of oh yeah yeah you're you're a wealth of knowledge. Oh and, no, um, I, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm very glad that you share the same skepticism and frustration of alternate media and alternative alternative news sources that i do because um you know you much like myself just want to put the truth out there and want to arm people with information to make a change in their lives and um in the way that we view the situations going all over the world so um do your plugs and uh we'll close her out yeah no i'm, I'm easy to find my name is adam fitzgerald and i use my real name to everything I, I post and share with people because I want people to know that it's coming from a real person. And yes, Kyle, you know, hey, listen, um, my goal is, you know, to share information, the truth about as much as I can about the events 
was September 11, 2001. But I'm also an anti-war type. And, you know, I see the the ramifications of what war can do. It could destroy not just, you know, the perceived enemy, but it destroys our soul, our personality within. I'm atheist. I don't believe in God or the devil. But I do believe that, you know, we do share a common spiritual nature with each other. And what war does is basically replace conversation with conflict. And with conflict comes death and destruction and disease and famine and poverty. And it's something that the the influence of the affluent people want. And it's something that they can't understand about the commonality of the people because they don't share commonality with us. But as long as we're divided, as long as we're misinformed, and as long as we're, you know, we consider ourselves the enemy, I'm going to speak out as much as I can and do what little uh, I can. You know, I'm not a very, I'm not an expert. I'm just an independent investigator trying to share unbiased information with the people because I believe that with information and education, we can actually threaten the establishment and make a real change uh, that we need. We desperately need now before it's much too late. And as with each passing day, each passing second, that we are, you know, this uh, inherently divided and wanting and needing and and this and 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 basically dependent on the institution that did this to us, we're we're heading into a, a future of disaster. And so, you know, thank you very much for having me. I really much uh, enjoy your show and uh, talking with you. And um, yeah, my name is Adam Fitzgerald. Just Google Adam Fitzgerald nine eleven. I come right. In. Awesome, Adam. Well, it's been a very enlightening conversation. I'm sure everyone else will enjoy it too. Um, everybody, make sure you like, subscribe, and share. I should always do it at the beginning of the show, but I'm absolutely horrible at that. So, um, Adam, if you don't got anything me else, too. yeah, if you want anything else, we'll close her out. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Yeah. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.